So that's how I got in more and more involved because I was a researcher. I was familiar with the poor, but then I wanted to do more. Mm. Uh, it's not enough to document what the living conditions of the poor are. As a mm. Christian, I felt like I wanted to do something for them, but more so with this type of women. You know? mm-hmm. And for me, it was a shock. Welcome to Season 4 of the Surrender Podcast. I'm Craig Petty. And I'm Charlene Dallas Santos. This year, we're on a road trip to meet and reconnect with friends who are finding Jesus in the margins. Join us on the road and listen in to stories from around Victoria in Adelaide, Sydney and beyond, leading up to a national gathering in Melbourne 2023. Here's a chance to listen and learn from those who might have walks different to our own. We're hoping you come away inspired to live out the radical call of Jesus amongst the margins. In this episode, we have the absolute privilege of hearing from Atetina, a humble hero who has walked alongside survivors of sex abuse for many decades. Ben Chong also joins us again for this episode. Atetina is one of the big inspirations behind the Surrender Leadership Program. Wonderful. So, Atetina, why don't we start by you describing where you're located and the work that you're in, and then Ben might describe how he met you and some of those <laughs> impressions, and then we've got some questions to ask you as well. Yeah, thank you, Craig. Well, I'm here in Quezon City uh, in a, a village called Fairview, Greater Fairview. Quezon City is uh, the largest city here in the Philippines. And so it's uh, quite populated. So I am working as a program coordinator for Made in Hope Philippines. She works and uh, we serve survivors of sex trafficking or prostituted women here in Quezon City and their children. So uh, just to give you a bit of a background, uh, we have an estimated, but I think it's underestimated, 400,000 trafficked women for the purpose of uh, prostitution, sex trafficking. And uh, the forms of sex trafficking, they really vary, like prostitution in the streets, the bars, massage, parlors, casas, and other venues. And the latest is the online sexual exploitation of children, which escalated uh, during the pandemic. Mm. So that's where we met the women initially and did a lot of uh, building friendships with them. And these women, usually they have low educational attainment. They are very poor. Uh, without much skills, living below the poverty line, which is, mm-hmm. I think, about maybe $4 a day, 3 to $4 a day. And they typically, they live in shanties or squatter areas here, which are often so congested. So when you go there, you really feel suffocated. Mm-hmm. And because the houses are so uh, close to each other, and there is very, very little boundary that's so uh, noisy there's so many children the facilities are so poor they are prone to flooding like when it rains tonight (laughs) we are sure that our women will text us and Mm. say that if it's so heavy they will be rescued or they will be transferred to a higher place Mm. so yeah that's that's their condition and it's about maybe the first uh, area that we have is about two kilometers from here. So it's not so far. 
um, well, aside from the physical condition, there are also uh, relationships. Of course, uh, their husbands or partners, or they can be single moms too. But it's so messy, so violent. Mm -hmm. And when we were befriending them, we would meet them on the streets, in the bars, and they're involved in a lot of messy relationships. So they are exposed to a lot of violence almost every night. And of course, their children, the poor children, they are very much at risk of being exploited or abused. And, you know, if their neighborhood knows what the women do for a living, so they are subjects of gossip. They are looked down upon and uh, by the community. And so they are I, sort of isolated. And so they have low access to social services. Most of them are undernourished, especially the children. And of course, because of all the trauma and a lot of violence in their lives, they have very, very deep wounds in their hearts and minds. And they have developed a lot, multiple traumas, actually. Um, so, yeah, that, that's the context mm -hmm. where we work. Uh, so, and so we help these women. Right now, we are on uh, community and center-based. So, we don't meet them in the streets, uh, in the bars, especially when the pandemic mm -hmm. started. Uh, the bars closed and the cases too. But now, mm -hmm. they are coming back. <laughs> Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. But that's basically the context where we uh, move and we go there to jeepneys or tricycles, passes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we have two areas. So the, the next area is the payatas where it's really a dump site. It used to be a dump site and still mm -hmm. is some parts of that. And so the women also live there. Uh, with the same condition, maybe even worse. Mm. So, and the bars are just, you know, maybe two, three kilometers from the place, wherever there are bars, wherever there are, uh, yeah, also industrial areas. So there are bars in between. So, and it has not changed since mm. 1994. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, quite sad yeah mm. since 1992 when I first got involved yeah mm. can you maybe share a little bit about yeah, how did you get involved you know what was it that um, sparked um, the start of your journey as mm -hmm. you've worked with with these um, women who are being trafficked and mm -hmm. um, can you share us a little bit about that journey mm -hmm. yeah uh, I used to be a church mate of the founder of the ministry where I worked, it's Maritana. Mm. And so our church is located in the red light district in Manila. So it's not Quezon City, but it's in Manila. It's called Ermita. And our church then was called Ermita Christian Fellowship. And so we would practice, of course, the worship service. I was part of the worship team. So a cleaning team sometimes. So we would really see a lot of women, especially when it gets dark. So that was in 1992 when uh, Atisama, our founder, then um, started noticing these women. Mm -hmm. And of course, their condition is very poor. Some are would really reside in the bar in the bars because they don't have a, a living space. So we took note of that 
and we started she started organizing churches to do a prayer Jericho walk prayer walk for seven seven Saturdays where we went to the bars we split up in teams and then so that was my first exposure and at first I was so afraid <laughs> because even if I'm because I'm a community nutritionist researcher for 10 years but it's a different place you know um, so we went there we would prayer walk and then in 1994 the Lord really just started uh, you know speaking into my heart because I felt uh, the compassion they are not being noticed by the government there's no program for prostituted women and so there are certain localities in Manila and in the provinces where there are red light districts so that also uh, got me to thinking like nobody was reaching out to them. So we are a small team and we would go out every every night, every Friday night or Saturday night. And we, will, we, we don't have any agenda. We would just go there. Uh, there are many food stalls there in Quezon Avenue where we started our ministry. Just prayer walking. And, you know, it's just an Australian. Uh, I don't know if you know Kuya Charles Ringma. Uh, who started also yep. in Teen Challenge. Yep. Uh, yeah. And his wife, Rita, uh, were with us because they mm. had an experience in Teen Challenge and they heard about what we were doing in Samaritana. So they would join us. We would split into like there would be a prayer team and uh, an mm. outreach team. So I would often go out and we would meet the women there. So there are many types of women, bar girls, masseuses. Uh, so we would just meet anyone there. And for a year, I did that every Friday night. And the following day, if I still have time or if the women wanted us to be visited, uh, wanted us to visit them, then we would go there. And there I would see a familiar space where because I worked with the urban poor community for 10 years as a researcher. So I would be familiar with that. So that's where they live. Mm -hmm. And so I would begin to see the connection, you know, why why they would be there. Uh, they wanted to provide for their families and they have mm -hmm. no other option. They did not intend to be there in the first place. But, uh, for example, if they became a... Uh, helpers, domestic helpers from the remote provinces. They went to Manila and their employers were not so good to them. So they would end up in the streets. So that's where we would meet the women and then we would visit them in their homes. And you know, as you get to know them, as you befriend them. And it's also a challenge for us because we were used to, you know, doing Bible studies. Uh, but not with the women. No, not yeah. with the street people. Mm -hmm. Uh, we would go there and sometimes they would be high on drugs. So what will you do? <laughs> you know, we just talk to them. If it's their birthday, we would treat them at a local restaurant. Mm -hmm. And we would just sit there and just talk to them. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, our team really grew mm -hmm. in knowing, you know, uh, sensing how God would want us to minister to these women. We did not start with programs right away. Mm -hmm. Because uh, they're actually afraid of the church. He said, mm. oh, if you bring me to church, I would burn there. You know, and, uh, and knowing that I am you know, a bar girl or a street girl, if they meet Christians or church people, they would say, it's like robbing. Or if you share the gospel to them right away, mm. they would say, it's just like a robbing salt. Mm. 
in their wounds. Mm-hmm. So they know, they know that they are sinful, but they cannot do anything about it. So they are low skilled. Mm-hmm. Uh, as we get to know them, we also got to know their families. They are moms who have to provide for their kids. They are sisters who have to provide for their children, for their siblings or their moms. So they play a lot of roles in their families. And since they are, they have the capital, which is they are women, they are, you know, you could they could dress up, they can learn the trade, you know. So they would be there, you know, just to earn like maybe if they don't have customers, they would only earn a dollar, like 50 pesos. But if they do, they can have all sorts of services depending on the bars or the streets or the street service. So that's how I got in more and more involved. And uh, yeah, because I was a researcher, I was familiar with the poor, but then I wanted to do more. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not enough to document what the living conditions of the poor are. As a mm-hmm. Christian, I felt like I wanted to do something for them, but more so with this type of women, you know. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was a shock. And there are a lot of misconceptions also that we had, like, you know, you would judge them. And why are they there? They have a choice, but actually they don't. Mm -hmm. Uh, When you talk to them, you know, they are sexually abused. They are battered. And so uh, for us Filipinos, then at that time, virginity is very, you know, very precious. So if you get the virginized, you know, so they said, what, is, what else is there for me? You know, so, so we would just listen to them. And then I think because of listening to them and praying with them if they wanted to, like on the street, sometimes they would ask to be prayed for mm-hmm. because later on they would find out that we are Christians, although we're not very explicit about us being Christians because they would <laughs> get turned off. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, so they, we learned about their programs. Mm-hmm. Uh, the programs that we would do for them. Like, you know, if they get jailed, so so they would be, because uh, they would be charged for vagrancy. And at that time, we didn't know about what vagrancy was all about. So vagrancy is, first of all, if you are a loiterer, you loiter around and you are a prostitute. <laughs> so in our law, anti-vagrancy, it, the vagrancy law is like that. Mm-hmm. So we would, they would end up in jails. We would visit them. And so we would be like runners for them. Like we would be connect, connecting to their families, tell them that they are jailed and could they visit them. We would uh, run to the store and buy undies <laughs> because they would have to sleep there for how many days they don't know. Mm. They would be dragged by the police. So we saw how the police really treated them badly. But in their free time, like if they're off, they're not on duty, they would be the customers, you know. So they're supposed to be the protectors of the women, but they end up, you know, using them when they are free. Mm-hmm. So those are the kinds of uh, lives of the women that we met. And so as you go in deeper into friendships, uh, you know, we would often ask, Lord, how do you want us to? They seem to have so many problems. They have mm-hmm. drug problem. They have a problem with STD, so we would accompany them in the clinics. Uh, they would say a lot of things about their problems with their relationships. They have problems with their children. Their children and the streets, they, they are with them. 
And so if you ask them like on the streets or in the bars, they would say, oh, mom has a customer, <laughs> mm. you know, whatever that means for them. So it's like, uh, and so it's, it's not really safe for the children. But at that time, we couldn't really do anything but to befriend them. Mm. And I think uh, befriending uh, is really a very, very big part of mm. what this ministry is all about. It's really mm. building relationships with them. And then you see afterwards what kinds of program, mm. you know, to do with them. Mm. So, yeah. So we ended up you know, providing livelihood and skills training. At that time, we were not livelihood people. So we would... I would uh, get the recipe of my mother uh, for pineapple jam or sweets. We would make everything, uh, you know, baskets, decorate it and uh, uh, fill it with sweets so that we can have like Christmas projects, mm. cross-stitch, we would do cross-stitch. But our, our partnerships and our networks grew because of that. Mm. And so, but we're only little, you know. Mm. Sometimes we wish that the church would, um, work alongside of us mm. but <laughs> they are not they only want evangelism and for us evangelism is a, we have learned to uh, be a different thing it's more of befriending mm. Mm. and so, uh, um, whole bible studies we call it uh, Friday fellowship so in the afternoon we would have a Friday fellowship. It's, it's just a fun thing, you know. Um, just inviting them over for a meal or a snack before they go in. They went to the streets again in the evening. And uh, so we would have like five or four or sometimes eight. Uh, and then uh, the occasions so like Christmas, we would invite them. So that's the most attended because we would have gifts and they would bring their children so, yeah, but, you know, befriending is really going deeper into relationships with them. That's how you see what the Lord wants for them. Mm. Yeah. And individually and as a group. Mm. So that's how we started uh, programs. Yeah. Could I ask mm -hmm. you about the befriending? Because, I mean, I know you could talk for a long time and there's such incredible stories you're to, still to be told. Um, and I also know that you're very humble and you've skipped over a lot of things. You skipped over a lot of things that you did along the way. Um, you know, you talk about befriending and that I was telling Charlene and Craig about the work of She Works and your posture and how something that Chelsea and my wife and I see uh, in the way that you go about walking alongside the women and the children is that dignity is central, that uh, there's a, there's a, an intention around restoring the dignity of people. And I see that in the way that you guys would do Bible studies. You know, you talk, you talk to us about like redemptive physicality that you walked out the Bible studies because it was teaching them to have a different relationship with their bodies. And um, I remember seeing that in the way that you invite people to explore and learn together rather than have just one person teaching. And um, could you tell us a bit more about where that, um, that philosophy of befriending has come from? How did that show up for you? Where did you learn that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, um, I think it's because of the, since 1994, we have, our practice was to really reflect first before going out on the streets. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And we would really study and learn more and dig deeper into how Jesus really reached out to the marginalized. Mm-hmm. I think Jesus is really a friend, first and foremost, uh, to the people. So, yeah, and I think basically Filipinos are very friendly. You know, when you go out in the streets, they will call us ate or big sister or kuya or big brother. So I think we capitalized on that, befriending. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they can also sense if you're genuine in your befriending <laughs> mm-hmm. or you just want to evangelize them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's where we sort of got, uh, I mean, uh, based our friendships on. And as Jesus would always do that, uh, would always be a safe guy. Sometimes not, or, or maybe a lot of times not, but a safe guy in the sense that he would not judge. Mm-hmm. You know, he would just mm-hmm. talk casually with people, ask them questions, make them think, give illustrations. So I think, uh, and I've always been very interested at, you know, how will these women who are lost Low, with low education really understand you know we've mm. been reading lots of very amazing Christian books and somehow I wanted personally I wanted to them to taste you know about what what it means to really become a Christian and the Bible is one it's the most you know ideal story many stories the Bible where Jesus encountered women and so we would just play around those themes like how Jesus would uh, meet fishermen, very mm. simple people, tax collectors, prostituted women like Mary Magdalene. So, yeah, so so I think uh, that's where we came from. Uh, I always say we because I would not, not have done that without a community. So, mm. we are a team of people who'd like to dialogue and discuss a lot of things especially how we would reach yeah. out. And so we carry that on to, to the women yeah. whom we serve and we work with. So, uh, and yeah, we through time we stumbled upon Jane Vela's Dialogue Education, you know, where they base their uh, training by uh, through learning, you know, how much of it, of the, of the dialogue can one learn maybe in 10 minutes. So, yeah. So I think uh, because the women, you know, when they go into the streets, they will just attend to you for a while. They will say, Ate, I have a customer. So how can you maximize your encounter with them? Mm-hmm. And how can you sort of insert things about life in general? And how can you... Because our aim then was to really give them alternative ways to think. It's alternative. Not just because if you if you speak with them, it's say, oh, I'm a popo or a, a street girl. I'm I'm living here as a street girl, but I will die as a street girl. So for us, how can we elevate you know, their dreams? Because mm-hmm. they have dreams. And you ask them, what dreams do you have? He said, ah, my dreams died a long time ago. So how can you elevate their uh, capacity to dream again? Mm-hmm. So that, that for us, as, uh, and how did Jesus do that? So he would speak about illustrations, he would make a comparison. So how do we contextualize that in our culture where we would uh, prefer talking about telenovelas? Nowadays, it's Korean drama, right? <laughs> but the telenovela, so I began 
uh, watching the telenovelas every after every night. So yeah. so that when we see each other, oh, you know what happened to this telenovela, and so we would also see women there being offered like uh, this brand of undies or this brand of jewelry, and so we would also you know, go into that. And, and so the women would stare at you. Oh, I don't seem to uh, recognize you. You're not a street girl. But, you know, we're dressed very casually. Mm. So, yeah, that, that the befriending. I don't know if I'm <laughs> hitting what you were asking, uh, Ben. But, yeah, the befriending is many different, different ways of, uh, you know, like for us Filipinos, mm. we would be interested what you ate this morning. <laughs> so what did you eat this morning? <laughs> Have you gone to Jollibee or what's your birthday? You know, so so all sorts of things. And I think it it pays that we are friendly people in our team. And so we would talk about anything under the sun until until you know sometimes because the women became very comfortable with you, they would open up. You know, I have this problem with it's so embarrassing. Mm. I think I have STD. And so we would ask them, have you seen a clinic? Oh, no, I won't go there because the nurse there would just call us and judge us. So that's the time that we enter. In it. So yeah. would you like wow. us to have a set an appointment with you? So that, and of course, these uh, clinics, if they know that you're an NGO worker, they are more polite. So the women are prevented from being you know, uh, judged and scolded. Those things, and then you know, we talk about parenting. Even if I'm a single person, the little that I know of, like uh, if they are very fond of eating candies and their teeth are <laughs> beginning to diminish, <laughs> so we would talk about you know, uh, brushing their teeth and all things. So, yeah, and 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 that became an, a venue for us to really talk about a lot of deep things because they think that you know you engage with the familiar things that they do every day so this person must be trustworthy and of course we would go to their home so we would uh we would the things that they opened up to you uh in the bars and the streets you would connect it with the way they behave, you know, they relate with their moms or with their husbands or living partners. So you would also verify if that what they're saying is true. So, yeah, I really cannot pinpoint exactly how all of these things play up in, uh, mm. but it's relationship building. It's uh, having in mind that, you know, that, that let God direct us towards what will really make them know more about Christ and about God. I think that's just so wonderful. And the thing that strikes me is that you started with reading what Jesus did and exploring that, dialoguing it together and then befriending people. And I just wonder what you would maybe want to say or what churches are missing when they say that's not evangelism or when we have that division between one thing and then what Jesus did. What, what would you... Um, share with churches that are thinking that's not evangelism? I used to think that way too, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because that was how I was evangelized and discipled. You know? mm -hmm. I am a product of a discipleship of many 
campus and uh, mm. you know professional ministries. So I used to think that uh, if you are with a person for 30 minutes <laughs> and mm. you haven't shared the gospel right away, then mm. you're there blood be on your head something like that <laughs> so I was raised that way and so it was very uncomfortable for us but yeah you because you are with people and you got get to know them better the Lord knows your heart so then our hearts began to change and so maybe what I would you know uh, tell the churches if I have the opportunity is that you know, uh, can we set it for a while? Set it aside for a while, just for and get to know the person, mm-hmm. because I really feel like if you start with you know uh, evangelizing, do you know Jesus? It's like you're saying you don't have an experience of God, mm-hmm. but they do. Actually, they do have an experience mm-hmm. of God. So, mm-hmm. how can you weave your way into the conversation where? You evangelize, uh, uh, introduce them to Christ or to the gospel or to God, but in a natural way, not in a way that uh, we, we tried it uh, in in the initial in our initial conversations with the women. But you know, it's not working. Like I would have this um, uh, anecdote where we tried closing our eyes and praying for one of the women. <laughs> with the women and then they crawled while we were praying over them and then we, we opened our eyes they're gone so <laughs> now, they would be saying, now they were saying Atitina, you know uh you we were just hiding in one of the corners on the street so we tried it but you know they would just <laughs> so how can we be effective people mm. uh friends first and foremost friends mm. uh and sisters uh, reaching out to them. I, I think much like what Jesus did. How did he begin, begin to, to befriend Peter? <laughs> you know, in the preaching. But maybe Peter beforehand has heard about Jesus. So the story, to, storytelling uh, is a very powerful tool actually for evangelism. But uh, being interested in a person-to-person basis. Uh, not just you know giving them do you know where you're going when you when you die uh i think that's for the women i mean at least for the women that we minister to that's a a big a very conceptual idea of introducing god so maybe they want to try befriending first knowing that because i think that's also respectful you know you i feel respected when somebody gets interested in knowing mm-hmm. like you know your questions where you work or so i get to know more the person i i also get hooked and interest become interested in our conversation if uh the focus is on me first you know and then we strike a conversation mm-hmm. rather than a vague idea especially if you're a woman a prostituted woman and you know deep in your heart that you are sinning, you are guilty. And then somebody says, you know where you go when you die. And so they fear more God than, than they they will know God as a friend. Not mm. okay, Craig. I think that's how I uh, mm. would tell people. Maybe we can try to befriend them first and get to yeah. know them. 
mm-hmm. respect them for who they are, what they do. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Thank Before you. maybe lengthen the friendship, <laughs> lengthen the friendship period. Yeah. If you can meet that person again, and if you don't meet mm-hmm. him or her again, then just pray for her. Mm-hmm. I think uh, just being a friend. You remind me of a um. There's a quote that we often talk to in the Surrender Leadership Program, which you have inspired a lot of, Arte Tina. We talk about what it means to truly listen and hear a person. And the quote is, being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, it is almost indistinguishable. In other words, to listen is to love. And I think that's something we, that we see in the way that you've gone about walking alongside these women is you hear deeply, mm-hmm. They experience it as love and then they want to know what makes you love like that. Yeah, what a wonderful quote. <laughs> Over to you. How will you respond to Jesus' radical call to the margins? Be a part of the Surrender Road Trip by following the podcast, joining us at one of our events. Surrender partners with dozens of organizations and initiatives. Join us and others and take action at surrender.org.au.